Hello, fellow nerds. Come in, come in to our cozy living room. The tea is on, the pillows are plumped, and it's time to get down to the important business of fangirling. I'm Heather. And I'm Stacy. Welcome to Free the Squee, a podcast that puts pop culture on the therapy couch for our enjoyment and hopefully yours too. Please feel free to take our advice on what to watch, but please don't take it as professional advice. A pop culture podcast is no substitute for actual therapy. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Heather. So we this is the second time we tried to have this conversation. I think it's the third time. Is it I the think, third time? Well, it's the second attempt at recording it, but we had a version of this conversation on the phone. Okay, if I go, okay. Oh, well, okay, truth. Well, first we had a text version. This is all part of the story, <laughs> listeners, I swear. There was a text version, and then we did a phone version, and then we did a, we should really talk about that. On the podcast? Yeah, and then. And then I messed up the audio. Yes. Irreparably unsalvageably even though we had a really lovely conversation yeah so um here we are uh having the millionth conversation (laughs) about a cultural gaffe yes two podcasts ago uh your zadie is a level 20 20 arch druid (laughs) um we were talking about that lovely movie round and round yeah uh hanukkah movie and I inadvertently referred to Zadie as she because I had I didn't I didn't know about Zadie and Bubby. And I think all things are she if I don't know what they are. <laughs> default lesbian. I'm a default lesbian and in my world all things are girl. Mm-hmm. Um and so I had assumed that Zadie was a girl, but Zadie's not. No. Zadie fact, is grandpa. Correct. And Bubby is grandma. And Bubby's grandma. Mm-hmm. And um, you, we were so excited, Annette and I, Yes, that you just let us squee. Yes, you were so, you were talking, I think the pitch in the room went up, you'd have to tell me you do our sound editing, um, but this, there was so much squeeing happening about the idea that there was a grandma as an arch druid. It was like so much that I caught the error in the moment, but didn't say anything not for any like I was afraid to reasons but you were just sort of into it and I was like I'll come back to that and then truthfully straight up forgot yeah because it, it wasn't like well you have said to me yes it wasn't offensive no it just was an error yes uh, an uneducated error yeah this, despite the fact that um Annette and I being quite similar in this way uh we watched all the Hanukkah movies, which we I think we mentioned on the podcast. We watched all the Hanukkah movies. Yes. Uh, but it just wasn't a thing. I don't know that I guess maybe it maybe it wasn't referenced in the other movies, or maybe we just hadn't attended to that bit of information. But it was just a thing we just hadn't right. caught. And it is a way that some Jewish people refer to their grandparents, but there's also lots of other words people use, including grandparents that aren't necessarily <laughs> gendered labels or connected to Yiddish or anything. Yeah. So it sort of fell off my radar. And then I think I caught it as a comment on the Incomparables Discord. Discord. And went, oh, yeah. Or maybe while we were listening for edits, I'm not sure. But at some moment, I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Then ensued much girliness. Yes. Around, oh, no. 
did I hurt Stacy's feelings? Yeah. Was I culturally offensive? Oh, am I some terrible, oh. terrible person? And um, yeah. So then yeah. we had to move into this whole kind of new area of mm-hmm. the thing that so many of us uh, work on these days, which is um, you know cultural competency yep. and negotiation and identity differences yeah. and you know dominant non-dominant culture conversation and dialogues and it's the thing that was striking to me as we did it is what our relationship is oh i don't know 20 years old oh 30 30. years old Mm -hmm. how old's my oldest child yep closer to 30 (laughs) anyway um so there's so much sort of richness and connection in the friendship that both of us were trying to be gentle and thoughtful and both of us were assuming the best. Like there was not totally. an assumption of malicious intent. There was not a belief that someone was trying to get away with something. None of those things. But even given how close we are, and truthfully from my own experience, how sort of small the error was, we struggled mm-hmm. to figure out how to communicate it. Mm-hmm. And we're so funny. We're like, I know what's more efficient. I'll craft a really thoughtful text. <laughs> Listeners, I think there's probably 21 of you now. Uh let me tell you that crafting a thoughtful text is not faster than calling your friend. <laughs> it's just not. So after much back and forth of trying to figure out what the other person meant and be so gentle, we had this lovely conversation that was a parallel process conversation mm-hmm. about both of the error and how we navigated that and then the way we navigated navigating the error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we had a third layer, didn't we? And then it happened again. <laughs> Because we had a great conversation. We had the, we essentially had this conversation yes. about how to walk through these things with people that yeah. I think are very important. And then, I don't know, uh, people, I'm very new at this editing thing. And I, I did something and I, um, in trying to fix the audio, there were some bumps of the microphone. I think I, I damaged the original audio. It was like not put outable. I think underwater would be oh, a good descriptor. Right? Stacy's like, oh, it can't be that bad. Let me listen to it. <laughs> Friends, not, not only could we not hear me at all, but there was a gurgly, bubbly mud. You know, what's the swamp in Labyrinth? It's so bad. You know, the, the bog of eternal stench. I believe Heather was speaking from the bog of eternal stench. I tossed it out to the um, incomparable crew mm. in the tech, in our tech channel. Yeah. And I said, can anybody help me with this? Crickets. <laughs> I mean, these are people that love a tech challenge. They talk no. about tech more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Crickets. <laughs> That's how bad it was. So we realized we're going to have to record this again. So now we had missed January mm-hmm. and wanting to get a, an episode out and did not being able to save the, the audio and not getting it out and putting an episode out without having this conversation on it. Did that recreate it again? Was it another example of it not being important enough? And we had to have another conversation about that. So it's kind of been endless, but so important to keep talking. Yeah. And I mean, the irony of that, if I remember correctly, was that interestingly, it started to become more important to me because there'd been such a gap in time. And part of why you were not getting it to me is because you couldn't get the sound right. Right. And it was just feeling worse and worse and more and more uncomfortable. And sometimes we get like, not just for Heather and I in this space, but as humans, like the more uncomfortable and the more shame starts to show up for something, we don't disclose to someone else what's happening. So then they don't know 
right. what's happening. So ironically, the thing you were feeling was that it was actually incredibly important. Right. And you wanted to do it well. Right. And so you hadn't done it. We hadn't had the talk yet because you were trying to solve the problem that turned out to not be solvable. Right. 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 And if I had just said to you, I'm still working on it, I'm still working on it, I'm still working on it, but I felt so embarrassed about the whole thing. Yeah. And the whole thing did seem like some just recreation of my worst nightmare. <laughs> um, that I'm sure that was the unconscious reason about why. Yeah. But it did, it is this whole thing that is if you do not believe this, this is you are get on this page. <laughs> we create what we are most afraid of. Yes. We create what we are most afraid of. And so um, by not just saying to you, you know, I'm still trying, I'm still trying, yeah. that in the end, it felt like I somehow was not prioritizing it, even though it became, you know, many weekends were sacrificed to trying to yeah. rescue the audio. And so we talked about it. Did you know you can keep talking about it? You don't have to get mad. Right. And go someone... Or assume that what you feel or think is the truth. Because actually when we assume things, that usually is wrong. Yes. Um, Yeah, so you talked to me about it. I did. And also, these things don't exist in a bubble. This is the other thing we forget when we send a text. Like I send my text out into the universe and that other person receives it on their phone in whatever context they are in at the time. So part of the context for me was I'm going to send this text out in the morning because that's when I'm bright and chipper. And I have thoughts. Heather's texts are silenced at that time. And it turns out has had a not great day. So she wakes up to texts that don't feel accusatory, but hook the shame or discomfort space. And then she is very, very sad. I have no idea this is happening. None. I'm, I have crafted such a lovely text, but it feels bad. And I think this is a thing we forget. Yeah. And that's, I mean, this is what's hard about texts. I think yeah. that even given what we do and Mm -hmm. we are constantly coaching people to not have meaningful conversations over text. Even we forget that. Absolutely. Right. Um, all the time. So needless to say, Mm -hmm. thank God we do what we do Mm -hmm. because we do know some things and we do have skills and we pulled ourselves out of the tar pits. We did. (laughs) (laughs) They were stinky, but we pulled ourselves out. (laughs) We said, wait a minute. Hold on. We know a few things. And we had another conversation and we came to realize um, that everything is fine. Yes. This conversation was really probably the most important conversation we've had for both of us for different reasons. And of course it got sticky. Mm -hmm. Of course the universe made it so that we had to dig deep and hard, even though it was really just about thinking Zadie was the feminine. Right. Um, when it was the masculine, um, you know, because that's what we have to do sometimes. And it did give me space to think about when do we confront or have a conversation with people when there has been an error, intentional or not. And like where I sat around, oh, when this happened, I had a little moment, but it didn't bother me too much. But I noticed that I felt differently over time, mm-hmm. which is also interesting to track. Um so I think all of those pieces are sort of part of the story. And I think that's true with mo- most sort of culture, cultural gaffes mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. where there's, again, assuming there's not intentional attack or things like that, obviously, but where there's just sort of a misread or a misspeak mm-hmm. that people are trying to figure out how to respond to that, that your feelings about that, both the person who has misspoken and the person receiving, those feelings also can change over time. Mm-hmm. And that it's worth keeping the dialogue open. 
Well, and I think too, when there's a promise of repair, yeah, then it's fine. I mean, not that it's fine, but it's like okay. So we have we have put the healing balm on that. Yeah. But if it doesn't, then um, happen. Yes. Then I think now there is another wound, or perhaps the depth of the original wound maybe gets yeah revealed more. Yes. Um, especially when, when these are coming from those non-dominant identities yes. that we were so often not seen. Right. Right. So yeah, on the surface, it is an, un it's just an uneducated thing, mm -hmm. but it's a place of just so often not being seen. Yeah. Of not being seen over and over and over again. And of having to play the role of educator over okay. and over, which is exhausting. Which is exhausting. Right. Right. Yes, totally. Yes. Um, and and a place of hope in a place of where you were hoping not to have to do that. Yeah. Here, once again, it happened again. Yeah. And you were hoping that, okay, it wouldn't be that hard. It'd be easy to get taken care of. And mm -hmm. then it got harder. Right. And it got harder. Right. Yeah. So, Yeah. And I want to actually, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about that wound opening piece. There is a piece here about like apologies mm -hmm. and repair that I think is important. There's sort of multiple pieces to an apology, right? There's the piece where you say, I'm sorry for mm -hmm. the actual injury. Like I am, I evidence that I hurt you. I can talk a little bit about intent because intent is helpful to know if someone didn't mean to hurt you, that often feels good. It doesn't solve the hurt, but it is nice to know mm -hmm. if they that they didn't plan for that thing to happen. And then after that, there's some commitment not to do that thing again. Mm -hmm. So once I have done that, I'm going to really try to track that and not do it again. And then there's an offer of some kind of repair. Right. And hopefully a collaborative repair. Like I want to know what the other person would experience as repair. Mm -hmm. Like, And that could be any number of things. That could be ongoing dialogue. That could be commitment to reading resources. That could be, I don't know, uh, gluing together the plate, I, plate I've broken. It doesn't matter really what the thing is, but it's like multiple pieces. Apologies are not just say you're sorry mm -hmm. and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like we teach kids, that's not particularly helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really thinking about the other person's experience of injury and evidencing empathy is a much better apology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so some of that process had gotten done and the, it, it, it looked like the, the commitment yeah. to the follow through of the rest of that process had somehow not been important enough to happen. Right. And I bet that felt like a violation of, of trust. Yeah. Yeah. It did. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Hmm. Which is why I came back to talk about it again. Right. And then we decided to do this. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. Talk about process and content. Correct. Yeah. I think on the other side, too, one of the things that we have to do when we're in the dominant mm -hmm. role. I think one of the things that's really important is that I manage my own shame about this process. Yeah. Right. Cause if I collapse into that shame and I just collapse into, Oh, I'm so terrible. Or I collapse into what's even worse defensiveness. Right. Then there is no room for the person 
of the non-dominant identity, in this case, you being Correct. Jewish, to get to have your process. Yeah. For you get to be, for you to feel hurt, for you get to, to be able to say what you want to say, for you to speak to me and say that you need to be seen and heard and yeah. all of these things, right? Because now, oh, I have such big feelings. Yeah. It's the space for you to have your feelings, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we do when we're the dominant identity. Yes. Is put that identity back on the shelf mm -hmm. and create space for somebody else. Yes. Um, and I think that's what we need to be also doing, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know that we talk about that very often mm -hmm. in our culture, um, broadly speaking, when we're talking about these conversations, yeah. is what to do with the shame when you're the, on the other side. Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I will do everything I can to not mess up this audio. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that yeah. too. And we'll get this out as soon as possible. Correct. All right. Hey, Heather. Uh, we are here today to talk about Doctor Who. What a perfect thing to talk about. Yes. Since it is the first fandom we really bonded over. It is. It is the first. Well, no. Mm -mm. All right. Take That's me back. That's not true. X-Files. Oh, you're, you're, t I'm so wrong. I mean, I don't know how you could have forgotten. <laughs> okay. I guess I think about it in the context of like Comic-Con and that like really coming into fangirl spaces in that way. But you are a hundred percent right. Sweet listeners. <laughs> Graduate school. Stacy and I are living in the same home. She is in the downstairs apartment with her partner of the time, and mm -hmm. I am in the upstairs apartment in my partner of the time. Yes. And we are gathering every, I want to say Saturday night. Is that possible? Friday night? You know, it was X-Files night, it and was what day of the week it was didn't matter. It irrelevant. washed it out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our first Halloween party. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Anyway, that's for another conversation. I mean, what happened was that I didn't really realize I was actually a nerd. <laughs> Which, I mean, okay. I know. Sometimes we can't see ourselves as well from the inside as others see us. You know what? Upright, coming out of the closet as a nerd <laughs> was as big a deal as coming out as queer. It's true. Uh -huh. Okay. So you. anyway, um, the thing that dragged me out of the closet was Doctor Who. Yeah. Fully. Well, in Comic-Con. But anyway, it was Doctor Who. Yes. It was an experience. And we're talking about Doctor Who today uh, because exciting things are happening. You and I are going to galley soon. Yes. And, um, oh my gosh, David Tennant came back. And... That little sound is because that's my doctor. <laughs> it's not just like an unrelated little squeaky sound. Uh, yeah, Tennant is my doctor. Catherine Tate came back. Also amazing. What? I know. These three specials are amazing. Oh, and then... Tons uh, of other characters came back, actually, lots, and are referenced. Lots of stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And then what? By generation? Shooty Gatwat? There is... Shooty. We have things yes, to discuss. We do. Okay. So let's start with uh, David comes back. And bumps into Donna. And we have all of these shenanigans about she can't remember, she can't remember. Yes. And it's so funny. I mean, Sylvia's like, oh, oh, no, that little cute little furry beast isn't there. And everybody's like, she's not there. She's not there. It's uh -huh. not there. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and then we find out that uh, Donna has this daughter named what? 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 Rose? <laughs> what? 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 
Yes. So fun. Fantastic. I mean, there's just so many pieces, but when Donna says, I will descend (laughs) to Rose, Uh when the boys Mm -hmm. are teasing her with her dead name, which I feel kind of ambivalent about, but them putting them out on the episode anyway but Mm -hmm. whatever but i like how much her that mama bear space like she just showed up i mean her child yes they modeled Mm -hmm. this how you do it this what you do honestly they modeled so much about how you navigate gender and pronouns and all of those pieces also the meep (laughs) is just the meep (laughs) as in the definite article and then the doctor was like oh yeah me too that was amazing (laughs) that was was fall off the couch hilarious (laughs) I quite enjoyed every aspect of oh, the yeah. meep. I mean, because the whole idea of binary goes so deep with that character. Yeah. Because first it's like, oh, I had the meep, I had the meep. And then, I had the meep, right? <laughs> so it was like all of these binary continuums. Yeah. Or non-binary, as or the non- case may yeah, be. Yes, yes exactly. exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was really great. Also, I assume you were sitting with me. But when I see that sweet creature, I'm like, that, that thing's not nice. Oh, I'm just waiting. Oh, yeah. That thing is mean. Now its face changed to more mean than I even I expected. Those little <laughs> shark teeth, eek! Um, but I was like, oh, that is not a nice mm-hmm. creature. It's like when you're watching a series on Netflix, and like by episode two, everybody's happy, and you're like, oh, somebody's gonna die. <laughs> That's nope. Well, and I'm not a classic comic Doctor Who comic mm-hmm. person, uh, so I knew that the Meep was a character. Uh-huh. I'd certainly seen it in the Hooniverse, yeah, uh, stuff out there, but. I didn't know really what the storyline was, so. But clearly, way too cute. Yes. Yeah, way too cute. But this piece about non-binary and binary and things being more chaotic than we expect and not making assumptions, I think, for me, carried through all of the specials. Oh, yeah? How so? Well, I'm thinking about it, like, if we get all the way to the Toymaker episode, to the giggle, there's a bunch of things about thinking you know things, and it turns out you don't. And what happens when you make assumptions or you expect something to be a certain way and the rules that the toy maker follows are the rules of play and that that is not so linear and not expected. And there's a lot of questions about, to my mind, in that episode in particular, about what you think you know about how things going to happen. Like what? Like, I don't know, regeneration, for example. Oh, you mean like instead of one, there was two? Uh-huh. <laughs> also how they dressed them for that, but just as a... <laughs> A side note, shout out to the costume design department or whoever made those choices. But his clothes just showed up a little bit on each of them. And it was so funny. Well, and and the choices about who got what? Yes. Mm, mm, how does the how does the showrunner identify? I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, look, so can, we got to talk about shooting for just a second. Please. I'm in love with this man. And you know me. I don't really... Mm. So this is the conversation uh. in my home when I'm watching it <laughs> with many a queer human. And one of the, I, to be perfect, to be totally honest, I don't remember if it was my wife or my child, both of whom orient more towards ladies, <laughs> looked at me and they were like, I don't know, mm. I, I might be a mm. lesbian, but that man is hot. hot. He is so hot. Holy cow. And it isn't just the like the sort of overt physical right? hot. But that smile, that smile just exuberantly joyful. And the energy, yes. And the flirtiness, oh. he is so flirty. Girl. <laughs> so flirty. 
flirty. Mm-hmm. He is like the flirtiest of flirts mm-hmm. ever. The he if he is not the flirty doctor, <laughs> we have failed as a fandom. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and which makes sense that he like was birthed from the emo doctor. Okay, look. Right. Are you calling my baby the emo? He doctor? is the emo doctor. <laughs> Did you you see him in this special? That's probably why he's my favorite. (laughs) And what was amazing, too, is that, like, he is the emo doctor, but he was even more emo in these specials. He was like, oh, this is who I am now? Like, all these feelings? Like, buddy, you always had all the feelings. That's why I love him. You're just more comfortable with them now. Yeah. Well, I'm more comfortable with certain parts of them. Also, we're skipping around a little bit. I know. But, I'm sorry. But you know what? That's okay. I'm actually okay doing that because there was some, I, like I said, I feel like there were thematic pieces. Yes, we're talking themes. Yes. So I think that was one of the other pieces. There's a lot about, um, like, as I said, about being right or being clever. And it turns out that maybe not so much. And that sometimes even those kind of assumptions, like so much of David's doctor's process was like feeling like he's at fault for this. Like that the toy maker sort of followed up. Because there's this best two out of three idea, right? Mm-hmm. And that he was going to come back. He feels like it's his fault. And it's sort of interesting. Like, okay, perhaps he played some role in that. He did interact with this character many doctors ago. But also how much responsibility for a thing does someone take? And mm-hmm. there's so much on his shoulders about mm-hmm. grief and loss and what I would argue is burnout. Mm-hmm. Burnout, trauma even. Yes. Especially as I watched the giggle the second time and those those scenes with shooty doctor talking to david doctor yeah i've i've said those words to patients asking them the person they are today mm-hmm. to talk to the person they were back then because there just comes a time and place where you know no one else can care for us anymore in the ways that we needed to be cared for yeah except ourselves You know, when I guess the 15th doctor Mm -hmm. looks at the 14th and says, I have you. Oh, my God. But he doesn't just say it. He does it with his body. He he does it with his body. Holds him. It's amazing. Oh, I cry. Because it was really beautiful. I think it was really spot on. Yeah. And then the the follow on scenes. I'm going to cry. Where he's at home at the table with with Donna. Yeah. And he says, he says, all those years, all that running, all the wars, everything I've done, and now I know what I was fighting for. Yeah. And he's relaxed and he's happy and he's having that true intimacy and that true connection, which you cannot have yes. when you're in traumatic responding, when you're in fight or flight. Hello, Doctor Who. Fight <laughs> or flight. Yes. All the time. You can't connect. No. You're in sympathetic mode. You you can't really be connected. Right. And so for him to be settled in family, yes. he is connected. Um, and you know, that's what we're looking for. So, oh, it's so beautiful. Such a gorgeous arc. And I love, I love that when Donna's telling him he needs to slow down, that he's just, I think the word she uses is staggering along. Mm-hmm. And first, that phrase made me cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much that made me cry in the giggle. Um, and he's just, there's almost this sort of flattened expression. Mm-hmm. Like he just... And he says to her, I, I don't know how. Right. Well, right. Because when you're in that space, there's so much going on, right? There's so right. much energy and there's so much you're trying to avoid and there's so much discomfort. And um, 
you need the world to match the insides, right? Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not possible. Like, no, no I, I would go crazy, which the doctor, how many episodes do we have of the doctor not being able to sit still? Like that's the point of the episode. Right. So, um, it's almost like, you know, the giggle is all about the self healing, right? Yeah. And so he finally can sit still. And then go on and have some actual fun. Well, supposedly have some fun. That's yes. not exactly what happens next, but mm-hmm. well, maybe it is. We do see the doctor I mean, it's dancing, more playful, yeah, yeah, for the first time since uh, mm-hmm. you know the beginning of well, the beginning of the yes reboot. As he assesses, you know, the mavity of the situation. <laughs> I'm looking forward to what the <laughs> heck is that all about? It's so funny. I know, <laughs> especially the beginning when he's like that. Mavity, like he has to pause because clearly he remembers that it used to be a different, <laughs> different word. word. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love, and uh, this is a side note, but not a side note. There's so many little moments like that in Doctor Who where you're like, that's not a throwaway. Nothing here is a throwaway nothing. that will come back. The sparkle on the tooth that's the master. Oh, the, well, because like, you the know, hand. go on. The hand yes, takes the tooth. It does. With red nail polish. Yes. I just think that's interesting. Though, mm-hmm. so, Kate Lethbridge Stewart had red nail polish, mm-hmm. but she left. I was watching that very carefully. Yeah, but, but the hand looked a lot like hers. But that yeah, I don't could well, have that's, been. We don't know yet. We don't know. Someone's the boss, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the meep said. Yes, there's also. I think the toy maker also referenced something else was right. coming. Some well, someone that uh, he he yeah, yes, because and he didn't want to tangle with that. Right. Eek. And then there's Mrs. Flood. Oh, but that was in the Christmas special. Never mind. I'm getting them all confused. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but this is the thing. We don't know what's related and what's not yet. Right. And that's exactly. part of what yeah. I love about this show is how it weaves those stories together. Right. I mean, this is such a uh, show about stories. Continuity. Yeah. I love continuity. Yeah. Oh. That's part of what hooked me in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And we get Donna healed. Oh, my right? gosh. Right? The storyline all of us hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And... She gets to have Dr. Donna back and she gets to be like all boss lady, uh, saving the day. So awesome. And then it's her her and Rose. And again, we come to this binary thing. Um, Well, and then a sort of uh, broadened definition of family. Say more. Like we bring Melanie in, who's the orphaned previous companion. Yeah, yeah. Right? The other redhead, right? One of the other redheads. That was also funny. Oh, right the commentary on the redhead that was, that was hilarious yeah um so we bring her in um one of the things i actually really liked is the doctor talks about donna as his best friend mm-hmm. without a romantic mm-hmm. component which is so wonderful and identifies rose as his niece mm-hmm. and like all of that like thinking through who is family and who's included mm-hmm. at that table like i loved mm-hmm. that idea oh yeah yeah and we don't know how long trauma takes to heal. We just, it's not linear and it's not, um, it's not just that it's not linear in the sense that it doesn't go sort of like stage by stage exactly, but the length of the stages and frames of how things work is also not necessarily predictable. Right. So yeah, recovery is not a straight line. Well, and up until, you know, Jody's era, we didn't really know what the doctor had been running from, but I guess, I mean, we do now, really. Mm-hmm. And I had been so worried that, right, we, I had had this, tar- this Target fangirl moment where people had wanted to write Jody out, but clearly that's not going to happen. No, I don't think so. Um, 
these specials firmly cemented the flux as part of canon and you know that was yeah. never obviously going to be any real issue but i think um not that those what we know now about the doctor's early days and what the doctor had to go through these forced regenerations yeah. over and over and over again and, and being this subject of experimentation yeah. and then memories being taken away and all of i mean see of course my doctor's all emo right Look well, what happened well yeah <laughs> I'm, and of course they've been running forever and ever yeah. and ever who wouldn't want to escape right what they've been through right right and of course impossible to integrate and yeah. you know it is tv and it is quite all fantastical so a hug from another piece of yourself is not going to heal all that but yeah. you know i'll take it as a metaphor for the pro for uh -huh. the ongoing process um can I actually branch out another yeah. piece too? Um, one of the things that really struck me about these episodes is the things that were scary were really scary. Oh yeah, like the toy maker is scary. He is scary. The separating out of Donna from the Doctor, so the, the sort of isolation of trying to solve problems by yourself—that's scary. The creatures that I don't—the the like the not nothing from the previous from Wild Blue Yonder were also so scary and were also reflections of them remember it was like right. identity stuff that was it uh, there were several com pieces of each one of these episodes where i was like oh no <laughs> like pull the blankie up as i'm watching it on the couch it's scary russell t davies writes creepy so well yes i mean i think the best of all the showrunners yeah he writes creepy really well and um i do love a creepy <laughs> wild blue yonder was like oh midnight creepy yeah mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we still got some good moments. Like we learned from the not nothing that Donna knows everything that happened. Oh, yes. To Jody, Jody doctor, right? To the 13. Yes. Um, so that Donna knows the doctor's history and, pro and, mm. and is probably the only person in the universe that does. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's super interesting. I can't imagine they're not going to bring, I guess, 14 mm -hmm. and Donna back now that they're hanging out yeah. at home somewhere. It just seems too ripe. For... I would think so. Yeah. I guess we can keep and our look, fingers like, crossed. No lie. Any moment David Tennant is on screen and basically anything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like that moment. Yeah. You know, he's just so, f I mean, because he's a great actor and this yes. is what they do. Yes. I get that. But in this absolutely ridiculous TV show, mm -hmm. he so fully commits. Oh. I mean, he's just, yes. it's just so fully commits. He's really so fun to watch on the screen. Agreed. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed this time too, yeah. watching these two amazing, amazing performers mm -hmm. with such incredible writing this time. Meaning Shuti or? Uh, uh, still on David and Catherine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, she's fantastic. Oh, she's so good. Is uh, how uh, skillfully the writing uses conflict between them to create intimacy. Absolutely. Right? It's in there, well, though he actually does it in um, Church on Ruby Road too, but, but it's in their conflict. Like there's this scene in Wild Blue Yonder mm -hmm. where they start in to blame each other mm. and then they're like, Mm -mm. And in that moment of pulling back and resisting the urge to blame each other and 
calling them to their higher selves. There is so much in the writing there and so much in the acting that just, it's like their relationship is just this rich, multifaceted thing and you can feel the deep love they have for each other and then what comes next, which makes it even uh, juicier, is Donna then reveals what is underneath that accusation, which is, Doctor, I'm so afraid. Yes. Uh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so good. And that's one of those moments where you know it's not just that Donna has matured in her self-confidence over the years. Yes. And it's not just that... 14 has gotten more comfortable with his feelings. Mm-hmm. It's two that they have um, so deeply matured in their ability to relate to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So good. Yay. Before we go, though. Yes. Shudigawa. Pick a thing. I just. Mm, okay, mm, go ahead. You know. <laughs> what was it? The dancing? It. Yeah. In the little tank. Hard to know what is acting, what is person. Like, we can't tease those things out. I don't know. But his performance as this character, as the doctor, is, it is wonderful. It is so wonderful. He is just, um, first of all, he's so gay. And I just (laughs) love that. So queer. I just love how queer he is. And I, um, it's just so fun to see that just fully embodied. And of Mm -hmm. course... He says that. He pulls away mm-hmm. from 14 and he says, I am completely me. Yeah. I am oh. completely me, which I think means so many things. I'm. It means the healing, mm-hmm. not the haggardy self, but the right. And I think it means the queer self mm-hmm. that's been lurking underneath, which Donna kind of refers to. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure it means other things that probably will be revealed, but, um, well, energetically, it feels like there's space for joy, there's mm-hmm. space for hope, right. which I think was in there. It's not that 10 or subsequent doctors didn't have joy or hope, obviously, because they continue to fight for the mm-hmm. thing, right? So there's some beneath it well, value. 13 was very joyful. Yes. Oh, often, that's really fair. Right. Yes. Right. She really, I think the flux, like somehow 13, really was you know after 12 was such a sourpuss a lot Mm -hmm. 13 came out super joyful and then the flux i think in the story was just like yeah just sucked the life out of her right yeah well yeah yeah literally Uh uh-huh um uh so yeah so then there was something about 15 that just Mm. yeah joyful joyful Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait for the rest of this season. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Heather. The coolest, amazing thing happened to me. <gasps> What's the coolest, amazing thing? Okay, get ready to squeak. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so... Back in the day when I had this unbelievable falling in love with Doctor Who thing. I mean, I I still to this day do not know what happened to me. I don't know if you remember, but I had to have lunch with you. Uh And I was like, you have to talk to me, have to talk to me, have to talk to me. And you're like, okay. And I was like, what happened to me? And you're like, I know it's a thing. You said that to me. It's a thing. thing. About Doctor Who. Okay. Yes. And then I was just desperate and I was 
trying to find people because I didn't know why a show would make me feel this way. Yeah. And then I found podcasts. That's how I found podcasts. Oh. Was because I was desperate to okay. listen to people talk about the show. To find other Whovians. To find other Whovians. I didn't even know the word. Yeah. And then I found Radio Free Scarrow. Uh-huh. And they were a lifesaver and they still are a lifesaver. Yeah. If you haven't listened to Radio Free Scarrow, if you like uh, Doctor Who, you need to listen to these men. They are the, mm-hmm. some of the kindest men I've ever met in my oh. entire life. I love them. Um, thanks, Chris, Warren, and Stephen. Mm-hmm. And they, many of them, are married to Verity Podcast. Oh, I had no idea. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And Got so it. they plugged very early in my listening to them, plugged Verity of all these women. It was a feminist mm-hmm. Doctor Who podcast. So I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, oh, okay. So I immediately started listening to Verity. And I think this was in Verity's maybe first year or mm-hmm. early in their second year. And I started listening to them and I just felt like, oh, these are I don't know, people. these are my people. And then I was like going to Doctor Who school, oh. <laughs> like at like at Wellesley or Smith College yeah. or something. Like it was just, not only was it like Doctor Who school, but it was Doctor Who school for like at a women's college. And well, isn't even the name of the podcast yeah. connected to? Yeah, Very Lambert right. was the first um, executive producer. and Correct. Right. So... I I would wake so they would drop on Wednesday morning mm-hmm. and and that first year I was doing this just bizarre thing of getting up at five in the morning going <laughs> exercising thinking mm-hmm. that somehow I would like it if I did it long enough did not happen nope. did not stick never nope. doing that again but I did for a year I tried I really tried so I would get up really early in the morning mm-hmm. and I'd be like did it drop yet did it drop yet no <laughs> <laughs> are you like doing cardio and like well, no, because then I would go and I would do one of those crazy workouts where they would, I mean, you know, one of those workouts where you would have to do um, high intensity. Oh, a hit. Group. I hit. Uh-huh, yeah, that's yeah. what. Yeah, I can't even remember. I blocked it. I remember. <laughs> um, so I would do a group class back uh-huh. when you could exercise with people and breathe at the same um, air they breathed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would get back in my car and be like, did it drop? Did it drop? Did oh, it my drop? gosh. And usually it did. <gasps> and it would just make my day. Oh. And so my week I almost got organized I mean it was just it was such a weird time yeah but they were they just were like this lifeline I think as I had this awakening as a fan and discovering this joy in my life and you know really leading to today in many ways 100 right Right? yes okay so this all of this is preamble (laughs) I know right so this thing that happened like three weeks ago okay I am driving to work it might it was on a Wednesday. Oh, my gosh. And I'm listening to Verity. Mm-hmm. And they do a thing called um, Happy Things or what? what's being as happy in the yeah. world of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Which our kind of content and process is a little bit mm-hmm. modeled on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get to Erica, uh-huh. who is now like a friend. Yeah. Who helped us a lot with getting um, oh, that's Free right. to Squee yes. up and running. And we are her happy oh. thing. <laughs> And I like oh, gosh. lose it in the car. I'm screaming. crying. I am crying. I'm pounding the steering wheel. And it, it, she, they just say very nice things about us. Yeah. And um, and then uh, Cat, another one of the women, comes on and she talks about how our logo is a couch and their logo is a chair and that we're oh. kind of like sister podcast oh, and I. God. And then it all starts again. I squee again <laughs> and there's more tears and. Oh. Um, so I just have to do a shout out to Verity and acknowledge yeah. how important they were to me as this, you know, distant support, but how important connection is. Oh, wow. Even Absolutely. when we don't know someone. 
Yes. And that pop culture is so meaningful. Yes. In ways that we just cannot predict and cannot Correct. know. And storytelling is so meaningful. This is how we do this. This is how we do this. And um and their positivity. Yeah. And their focus on feminism and equality yeah. was so important. Yeah. So Verity, all y'all, thank you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you guys, thanks for making my friend really, really happy. <laughs> and me too. No lie. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, yeah, Heather wants me to listen to this few seconds and they're talking. The oh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> they're talking about us. Oh, my gosh. So I absolutely hold my own squee and my own joy. But I really I don't want to minimize at any level the layers that this meant for you. Yeah. It's really valuable. Yeah, it was really good. So if at any point we can, you know, just because you and I chat and we love what we yeah. do and, you know, we're shrinks. And so we try to put a little good out in the world. But if we can yes. support anybody in any, just even to the middle the little bit mm -hmm. that they supported me, then. Yeah. Job well done. Yay. Yeah. Hey, Stacey. Hey, Heather. You are coming to your first Gallifrey One convention with <gasps> me. I am. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So Gallifrey One is North America's largest and apparently, you have informed me, longest running Doctor Who convention. Yes. And um, it is one of the two conventions I go to every year. Mm -hmm. And it is one of my favorite places. Yeah. And I'm really happy you are coming with me. I'm very excited. So I'm coming and my wife is coming and we are both galley virgins, if that's a yes, thing. Yes, it's, totally <laughs> it's totally a thing. Okay. Um, and uh, I have I've really wanted you to come, but I've been trying to be not pressuring because <laughs> I... Uh, since my early spawn, early youngest days, yes. I can be a very pressuring person. So I'm like, I don't even know what a light touch is. I know like on and off. So I'm like, would you like to come? And then silence. <laughs> oh, here are the guests. Silence. Because I don't want to pressure you. But I'm so, I'm so excited you guys are coming. Yeah, we are. So Galley has about 3,500 people. So it's like kind of the opposite of Comic-Con. Yeah. Very small, very intimate. It's at the LA, Mar LA Airport Marriott. Yeah. And it's, but it's a fan run convention. So mm -hmm. in kind of vision, mission, aesthetic, it's just like Comic-Con. Okay. No saved spaces. Yeah. First come, first serve. The rooms mm -hmm. don't get cleared out. Okay. No special privileges. I mean, in that way, they're very much the same. Yeah. Right? Uh, but then in all other ways, they're super different in that you, you know, except for the big panels, uh-huh. Uh, you don't you don't have to wait in line to get. I was going to say, do I have to sleep in a tent outside? Nobody has okay. to sleep in a tent to sleep outside. The only hard you know, it's we do there is a kind of hotel apocalypse situation. Yes, yeah, but because it's just really one hotel. It's just one hotel, in, right? Yeah, and there's plenty of hotels. Yes, around so that's not an issue. Um, and they run when there's for the big guests, which this year is Billy Piper. And Alex Kingston. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And Derek Jacoby. <gasps> uh, so it's pretty exciting. The convention to to make sure they have enough money to bring these big names since mm -hmm. it's so small. Yeah. Uh, they run extra ticketed events like yeah. script reads and these cocktail parties where you get like 
uh, I think it's about 15 seconds. Wow. It's a little bit longer than that. (laughs) I mean, it seems a little shorter every year since I started going to them, but it's about, it's supposed to be about 10 minutes per guest. So there's about 10 of you Mm. at a table with Alex Kingston and Billy Piper. So it's enough time to like say hi, ask maybe a question and say you get you you met them so i got oh, to sit and squee and squee a whole lot i mean i got to ask jody whitaker a question last year yes. and sit next to her oh my god you know for like 10 minutes oh but okay i'm down for okay because um, i'm like gonna feel it <laughs> i can feel my voice go before right? register at that idea oh yeah. my gosh okay yeah, uh, yeah, yeah go so you do pay extra for those but, uh-huh. but they're fundraisers they're part of what makes it possible to bring the guests right. um and then, uh, and then there's because it's so small, you meet people. They have mm-hmm. LobbyCon, which is the Marriott has this great open floor concept, mm. and people just basically take over the entire hotel. Amazing! Like the whole hotel is the convention. I love that it's like nicknamed LobbyCon. Lobby like that's not official, but that's absolutely what happens yeah. every year. Yeah, amazing. And then you come in, and all of the reception staff are wearing Doctor Who stuff. Oh my gosh. And um it's just it's really fun. And these organizers have been doing this the whole time and they're completely committed I love and it. they are deep fans and that's so good. It's really wonderful. Well and it sounds like there's little other things that happen that are sort of special that just sort of evolved like Lobby Con. Yeah. Like ribbons. Like ribbons. So so lots of conventions have ribbon culture, but Galley has a deep and wide rich ribbon culture so like ribbons like if you've ever been to a professional convention or even uh like something like comic-con there's often a ribbon that goes on the badge that has like member or speaker or press or if they're um a leader in the organization like um or presenter things like that so they'll have the name it's often a sort of a colored ribbon and there's foil lettering yeah but this is a special kind of ribbon yeah so the ribbons at galley are um kind of collector's items. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what anybody does with them afterwards, but uh, people approach ribbons in all different kinds of ways. Lots yeah. of people make ribbons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the point of the ribbon is to be clever and mm-hmm. funny and original. And uh, to really, you kind of want to be as insider as possible while also have maximizing people getting it at the convention. Right. right? So you don't want to be so obtuse that people are like, oh, Oh, yeah, huh, funny. Uh, you want <laughs> yes. it to be like really right in the pocket, yep. right? Really funny, right in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Everyone at the convention gets it. Nobody doesn't go to the convention gets it. Like kind of like that. Perfect. Um, which is tricky, but every, you know, but it's super fun. And then um, some people get as many ribbons as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so like stuck one to another, like a long train. Oh yeah, people make clothes out of them. Oh my god. Okay, okay, okay. So you'll see ribbon dresses oh and my capes. God. One year, um, we had Catherine Tate and John Barrowman at the same convention. Oh, my God. And early on, they decided they were going to have a who could make it. A ribbon off? A ribbon off. Who can make it bigger? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wait, John Barrowman made a who can make it bigger joke? Oh, and Catherine Tate. Shocking. Yeah. Who won? Oh, Catherine, Catherine Tate, Tate won. Win? You know she did. I'm sorry, John. I love you, but <laughs> Catherine Tate won that. For sure. I mean, it was John's It was John's turn in the big room, and he was doing his set, and Catherine interrupted him and said, I'm sorry, I have to prove my point. She came in, and she had uh, helpers, and mm-hmm. she unrolled her ribbon train <laughs> all the way across the big ballroom. 
it was one of those moments. And so, you know, like Comic-Con, yeah. they're just these moments that live on in infamy. Um, yeah, there's there are moments that just, it, just on one of my slacks the other day, that was one of those moments was just quoted, Rebos Operation, you know who I'm talking to? Yes. Anyway, um, so... Yeah, so uh, I'm so glad you guys get to come. I hope so, that you enjoy it. Oh, first of all, I know that we will. I'm so excited. Second, it also means like it's free the squeeze first attendance. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, it's our first attendance yeah. and we will have ribbons. We w- Because I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, so it hit this perfect intersection of crafty and competitive. <laughs> and oh, graphics. It, actually, it's three C's. It's crafty, competitive, and clever. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you would like me to be clever? With ribbons and color and Doctor Who content. I said, uh, Stacy, you take this. Oh, my God. And she's like, oh, I got this. So we have ribbons. But but one ribbon isn't enough. No, we had to have two. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Stacey, just one ribbon's fine. No. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. So two ribbons. And each ribbon comes in three colors. Because people like variety. Also, oh, yeah. as a little side note, just for like my own joy, the... <laughs> I don't even know if I told you this. <laughs> Welcome aboard to the podcast we share. <laughs> Hello. So um, the colors are for sure colors from our logo, like right, on Spotify right, right, or Apple right. Music. But they're also like pink and blue and yellow. Right. There's sort of a little pan flag in our colors. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah. it's true. Little pan girl over here yeah. was like, oh, can we little slide a little pride in there? Yes. Well, you, yes, know, we can. you know, the thing I didn't tell you. Tell me uh, more. Is when you walk up to check in, there are pronoun ribbons. Yay! So the very first thing you get is a pronoun ribbon. You were asked to select your pronoun ribbon. Oh, as okay. Part of your badge. So that's so, thank you, Callie. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. So, okay. So we're going to have a little problem. It's going to take longer at that table. <laughs> I'm... Do you know why? Why? Because my wife. Yeah is a greedy gender dragon. She can have all of them. She was she will 100% take every pronoun ribbon. She they can have. take all three ribbons oh and she can frame her badge and, and she can just confuse the <laughs> out of the everyone she meets and that's fine. Amazing. I think people will appreciate it. They'll be like, "What is that? I got you. Thank uh-huh. you very much." That's exactly what will happen. Yeah, I love Amazing. that. Amazing. That's great. So, um, yeah, so we're going to have a good time. And uh, we will also have stickers. Yes, I'm excited for that, too. Yeah, Fantastic. So stickers and ribbons and lobby con and, um, yeah. All of it. So <laughs> of maybe it. we'll see you at, well, we'll see each other yeah. for sure. We'll see each other at, at least um, one or a couple of our listeners will be there. Fantastic. So, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Well, dearest listeners, the teapot is empty and our time is up. Please join us again for more Squee. And if we're really lucky, some actual psychological insight into the world of pop culture. See you next time.